Hey, everybody. This is Mark Levine, and you're listening to the NYC Real Estate Podcast. And I'm here today with Ed McCool from McCool Risk Solutions, and we're going to be talking about insurance-related increases to premiums, what we're seeing in the market. Um, you're really, Ed, welcome again. Thank you, Mark. Welcome back. Um, so I always like talking to you because you are the insurance guru in my mind. You know everything about everything related to that. But let me just start off by telling everybody that they could email the show at nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's nycrealestatepodcast at gmail.com. And we like to take any questions that come in and also create for, uh, future episodes based on what's coming in because that seems that people are interested. So why don't we get kind of right into it if you want to give that two-second background on you for anybody that's listening to us for the first time or to you for the first time. Just tell me who you are. Okay. My name is Ed McCool. My agency is McCool Risk Solutions. We specialize in insurance for co-ops, condos, and apartment buildings. Uh, we currently insure over 1,400 co-op and condo buildings, another five or 600 apartment buildings. So this is really the area that we focus on on a daily basis. So we were talking before we started recording, but now we're kind of in budget season. We're seeing the end of the year, which we were saying before. And when we try to do the budgets, we try to take really kind of well-intentioned guesses on all the costs of everything in the building. And that could be from the operational side to the administrative side. And the thing that you're really in tune with is the insurance market. And um, when we go out to market year after year, we see certain increases. And I don't have the that overall knowledge that you have about the, you know, about the insurance market to say, well, these are the items that are pushing up the cost for you. All that we see is a 5% increase and why, you right. know? So why don't you walk us through um, what you're seeing now, how it's uh, kind of come across your desk in the last few years, any trends? Okay. Um, just back to your initial question about the budget. I would suggest that you have all your board's budget for, for a 10% increase next year. Um, could it be more? The answer is yes. Could it be yes? Uh, less? The answer is yes. But I would start there, and I'll tell you why. Now, the insurance market is cyclical, okay? There are hard markets and there are soft markets. And we've kind of been in the soft market for a number of years. And what that means is when there's a soft market, the insurance companies are making money elsewhere, investment income. And what that allows them to do is it allows them to charge a, a lower premium, okay? They relax their guidelines at that point. You may also have more carriers who are willing to provide a quote. So it's kind of supply and demand. If you mm -hmm. have 10 carriers who are willing to quote, well, you're probably going to get a lower rate than if you only have two carriers who right. are willing to quote. So that's the soft market. And that's kind of where we've been. Rates have either gone down or they've remained level. Um, that has been coming to an end over the last year. So over the last year, we've really been seeing 3 to 5% increases. The insurance companies, we're now meeting with them because we kind of meet with them at the end of the year. They're already indicating that uh, that it's going to be higher than that. They're looking at the 7 to 9% range. And the reason I say budget 10% because if an insurance company is going to raise rates by 10% or more in New York, they have to issue notice, okay, mm -hmm. and provide you with that. So they have to issue a conditional renewal notice saying the in premiums are going to increase by 10% or more. But if it's 9% or less, they don't have to. So, so they really have... a a ceiling there that's in their best interest to not go above because then they're going to be putting everybody on notice in writing that, or they're going to be putting this. Yes. Everybody on notice. Everybody that, on notice. Yeah. Exactly. And that's going to cause more questions than they want. It does. Now in a hard market, it's kind of the opposite of a soft market. There's basically three things are happening. One, the insurance company is not making money elsewhere. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they're not making money on the investment income. Um, 
the losses are building up. So the only what they can do to, to, to really do is increase the premium. So they do that. Right. Secondly, they start tightening their guidelines. Okay. Because what happens is insurance companies purchase insurance from other companies and they're called reinsurance companies. Right. So reinsurance companies are either doing a couple of things. One, they're raising the rates, which we're seeing. But two, they're tightening their guidelines. So you may have a reinsurance company that says, okay, well, we're not going to provide you with insurance on buildings that are, um, you know, don't have hard white smoke detectors, let's right. say. Okay, so that insurance company will say, okay, well, we're not going to provide coverage anymore because uh, we're not going to insure buildings that don't have hard white smoke detectors. So right. you may have less carriers at that point. Uh, not only less carriers, but they have tighter guidelines. Mm-hmm. So in effect, it basically drives up premiums. And that's kind of where we're at at this point. Because of natural disasters, been plenty of floods, earthquakes, hurricanes, the insurance companies and the reinsurance companies are basically starting to lose money. Okay, and they're not making money elsewhere. So what they're doing is they're starting to drive up the premiums. Right. And that's what we're going to see next year, um, or even the last quarter of this year. Mm-hmm. Now, that being said, there's also commercial umbrellas. So that's just the kind of the package I'm talking about there. Commercial umbrellas on, on a real estate or habitational building Anything above $5 million is typically going to be in a risk purchasing group. What that means is it's a group that has been designed uh, by, a, by a program manager. And so if you see that you have a $50 million or $100 million limit, it's not one insurance company who's putting out that. There may be three different ones or four different insurance companies. Um, and over the last year, the number of risk purchasing groups out there providing these umbrellas for these habitational risks have, have um, been reduced. Two programs have, have basically collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, another one has been raising their rates um, drastically. And uh, all the other ones that we have spoken to are, are already informed us that they will be taking rate increases next year. Right. And they're talking, again, usually in the 7 to 9% range. So uh, for safety purposes, for the budget, I would say budget 10%. Um, Buildings who have issues probably will be more than that. And when I say issues, there's a couple of different areas. One would be losses. Mm-hmm. And losses are the single biggest reason why claims uh, premiums increase. And when we bid out insurance, we're doing it five years loss runs, right? Correct. So they're going to see everything that was reported to the insurance company, anything that was paid out for five years prior to when we're trying to bid. That is correct. And that's not only paid out as well. You may have instances where it, maybe nothing was paid out. Okay, right. Let's t- t- like we put, yeah, we put a note. We put our broker or we put our insurance company on notice of a potential claim. Mm-hmm. Does that affect it? It could. And in, and as the market tightens, the answer is yes. Okay, because uh, insurance companies are looking for they're almost looking for a pattern. So if we have one instance and say, okay, we're putting you on notice because we had a slip and fall outside, probably not an issue. But if you've had several of those, then the insurance company starts wondering, well, what's wrong? Do we have an unlevel sidewalk? Uh, are we not salting during snowstorms? You know, what's the issue there? Same thing with burst pipes. Now, that's the biggest um, claim that we see on the property side are burst pipes. Well, if we stay, keep seeing the same thing over and over, so if the loss runs have five or six of these burst pipe claims on that, even though nothing has been paid out, insurance company starts wondering, well, what's the issue here? Is yeah. it faulty plumbing? Is the building uh, uh, plumbing not updated? Mm-hmm. And they may say, okay, well, we haven't had a large run, but we're due to have a large right. run. So yes, it could be held against them. So when they're looking at the loss issue, they're looking at everything. And so buildings who have some issues there are, uh, could conceivably see more than a 10% increase. Mm-hmm. Okay, That would be one reason. Secondly, what we're seeing over the last five or so years now is it's really come into play is buildings that have Federal Pacific circuit breaker panels are uh, are really frowned upon. Insurance companies are really stopping providing quotes. Yeah. And if they are on risk that have this, they're requiring these panels to be changed. And if they're not changed, they're canceling the insurance. 
Uh, and I have to tell you, there's a lot of buildings in New York, a lot more than the insurance companies expected that have these yeah. because Federal Pacific between 19, I think it was like 1955 and 1990, really put out a lot of these panels. And the panels are was considered faulty. So right. for the most part, they would say one out of every three breakers would not... Um, it, it wouldn't shut off when there was an over exactly. current. Leading, and then it would could lead be to a fire, fire hazard. Exactly. So, and that's also the stab locks. Mm-hmm. The same right. thing. Right, it's the same thing. Federal yeah. Pacific was the, uh, was the yeah. manufacturer of the stab locks. Got it. So buildings that have that, even though they may not have had any losses, may be seeing huge premium increases simply because there are very few carriers these days who are willing to provide insurance for... Which we've seen in a recent building, too, where one carrier said, we're not interested in doing that and then we were able to find a carrier that was and it you know and maybe if we did you made a good point at that time uh, separately on a phone call where you said if we take care of the um, federal pacific and get those out of all the apartments we may be opening up ourselves to a larger amount of companies that could bid on the insurance feel comfortable about it and then drive down the price even further absolutely and that's going to be critical in the next year or two because again as the market continues to tighten and rates go up uh, it is going to make a lot of sense to maybe spend a couple of dollars to get these panels replaced and open up more options because the options are going to be minimal. Are you seeing any, you go through a lot of insurance policies for a lot of different buildings. Are you seeing anything that traditionally is underinsured that we should be looking at to make sure that we have enough coverage? Or are there any new products that you're seeing as a coverage point that aren't necessarily being adopted by those buildings yet? Like cyber, or well, and that's exactly what I was going to say. Cyber would probably be the main one at this point. Um, we hear every single day about an, an attack someplace. Uh, we really haven't seen anything in a condo or a co-op at this point, but there's been some attempts. But what hackers have done is they've gotten smarter. They've adapted. So where it used to be, they were just trying to steal personal info. Uh, they're still trying to do that. But what they've also done now is, and you hear about it because you know the city of Baltimore has had it, hospitals have had it, police states have had it. Hackers are basically locking the system. They're hijacking your data. Exactly. Yeah. So they lock out your system. You have no way of getting into it, and then they charge you a ransom. Yeah. And and if you you either pay it in bitcoins or you don't get your system back. And at first, it really wasn't an issue because you had companies who most companies back up their data every day or every other day. Yeah. So some of them foregoing paying the ransom and would say, okay, well, listen, we'll lose a day of data. Yeah. The hackers got smart, and now what they're doing is they are they figured out how to go out, go in, reformat the system, wipe out the backups and and any uh, duplicates, right. and now you're not able to do that. So you're really forced to pay the ransom. Now the cyber policies these days have, have really um, changed to include coverage for ransom. So mm-hmm. even though I've I've had boards tell me, well, we don't have personal data. If you have a computer system, if you have you know a website for the association, it really is a necessity. Okay, not only because of that, but also because the management firm also has an exposure. Mm-hmm. And just because, and most management firms have cyber coverage, yeah, like, we like do. you do, yeah, but. You having the coverage does not relieve them from the responsibility of, let's say, one of their owners being uh, right. having their data stolen. Like their social security, if that's out because of us, that's a huge issue. Right. Now, you may have coverage, but they don't. And what they would have to do is they'd have to turn around and sue you, and it just gets messy rather than having, rather than having their yeah. own coverage. And coverage is not expensive on, on a co-op or condo. I mean, you're talking about... a you can get a, a million dollar policy for $750. They can get a $250,000 one for $400. Um, it provides it provides the coverage that they need. So it really is something that more and more buildings should think about obtaining, yeah. and they are, but uh, still not enough of them are. Yeah, but we're very careful about that. I mean, we have encryption on our website. We've got 
we've got the cyber security insurance uh, or the cyber insurance. So we, we internally try to keep that, but I see what you're saying. I mean, it is Listen, a lot I, of information. It is. And I have to tell you, people are smart these days. My girlfriend's 12 year old son is, is, has the ability to go in and hack and he, he loves this. He wants to be a white hacker, yeah. which is basically a good hacker. Yeah. You know, they, they, they you know, forego the, uh, or stop the, uh, the, 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 the black hackers yeah. basically. The black hats. Right. Yeah. The black hats. And so, but he's 12 years old and the things he does, I find amazing. Well, if a 12 year old can do this, there's a 24 year old out there who can figure out how to get into oh, yeah. your encrypted website and all that. And that's, yeah. so as much as, as, as people feel that they're, they're protected, uh, they really should take that step of making sure they're protected from an insurance standpoint. My password's one, two, three, four. It's fine. Nobody, nobody would know. No, that. Nobody would know. Oh wait, did I just say that? Wait, we're gonna edit that out. That's fine. Um, what are other costs that are driving up, uh, or other factors that you see that are driving up policies coming up? Anything labor law related? Anything with outside contractors? There are there are contractors. Uh, New York is the only state that has these really restrictive labor laws, and basically the labor laws say that the property owner and the general contractor. But from this perspective, we'll talk about the property owner. Property owner is ultimately responsible for the the site. Okay, so let's say they hire a contractor, and the contractor's employee is injured because of his own negligence. The association or the property owner is still could be, and in most cases, is held responsible. Okay, so what you have is you have these employees of a contractor who are injured because of their own negligence, who can't sue their employer because. The workers' compensation and workers' compensation basically says you forego suing us and we'll pay you benefits uh, right. and if, if you're injured. So they can't sue their employees. So what they do is they turn around and they sue the property owner. Okay, mm-hmm. and these suits are easily can be into the seven figures. I mean, I we've had several of them. Um, I can give you one example which which mystifies me of of why it even happened. There was a building who had a leak in their stairwell near the roof. They had it repaired. They needed it to be scraped and painted, so they hired a gentleman for $625 to scrape and paint the, the, the hallway. Um, he could not reach a spot, so he put a paint can. He still couldn't, so he stood on a second paint can, oh. and he fell. And he was, he was really injured, okay? And yeah. then, um, short-term memory loss, he, was, he, was, he had a lot of issues there. Yeah. Uh, and he was paid out a little bit over $4 million at that wow. point. And there's been many other suits that, that, um, that exceed that level. I had lunch with the president of one of the insurance companies recently, and he said they've had more label law claims that have basically have exceeded the million dollars in the last three years than they had in the prior 10 or 12 years before that. So they're seeing more and more of these, and that is one of the reasons for driving up the liability rate. So the liability rates in New York are going up simply because the insurance companies are now paying out a lot more on these label law claims. That's insane. That's a lot of money. I understand that people have a loss of revenue for their life if they go through that, but wow. Um, anything else that we should be looking at while we're just, I know this isn't like a, uh, a, a detailed roadmap of each policy because each policy is different, but is there anything else that we should be looking at in terms of, um, comparisons on the policies going forward and prices going up? Um, any other aspects of the insurance that we should be looking at carefully? Uh, more of what you can do at a lower premiums. And one of the things that jumps out is, is a deductible. Mm-hmm. You know, Ten years ago, most buildings had a thousand dollar deductible. Now most have twenty five hundred. These days, that is way too low. If you're not sitting with a five thousand dollar deductible, that's a mistake. You should go up to at least five thousand dollars and then weigh what between five thousand and the next level, let's say ten thousand, is. That'll save you some premium there. We take a look at that. 
not only do you save premium, that's number one. Number two is you stop submitting the smaller claims. And again, it's it's, right. it's typically not that one large claim that gets a building yeah. in trouble. It's the repetitive smaller claims. Well, that's true. It's a deterrent and it could save you a lot more money in the future. Exactly. And what I tell boards most of the time is, is if your owners have homeowner's insurance, one of the coverages in a homeowner's policy is called loss assessment. And what that is, is if the association doesn't maintain adequate coverage, or in some, in most cases where if they have a high deductible, they can assess the owners for, to make up for that shortfall. And loss assessment under the homeowner's policy would cover that. So let's say if a building has a ten dollars or $25,000 deductible and they have a claim, they can assess what the 100 unit owners, uh, a proportionate amount of that. And those owners can go back to their insurance company and, and be rec- and recoup it under the loss assessment. Now, the assumption is that they have homeowner's insurance, and I know not, not everyone does. Right. But uh, again, Most of our buildings require it, which good. is helpful. And even if they don't, I, I sneak it into their sales application so that they have to at least provide it. But most people that are getting mortgages anyway need to have it. Well, least. in a condo, they do. In a co-op, they don't. Yeah. And that's where the issue is. Is in, in a condo, the mortgage company requires it. But a co-op, they only require yeah. that they show up with a certificate showing that the building has coverage. Right. So a lot of times they do either forget or just choose not to maintain it. Which is why we sneak it into the sales app. So at closing, we're, we're seeing proof of that, which is really great for the building. Good. Good. Yeah. In those cases, then they can afford to take a higher deductible, and if they have to, right. at some point, assess back to make up for that deductible. So many tangents we can go on with insurance. So us. Never <laughs> a boring day in insurance. How, I have a quick question. When you do a, when you do bid out for insurance policies, typically how many insurance companies are you going out to bid for, or are you limited by one per broker? Like, How does that work? Well, insurance companies typically only take one submission per broker. Okay, that's that's typical. That's ninety nine percent of them. There are some insurance companies who will allow ten different brokers to, to provide quotes, but that is that is uh, you know it's probably one or two of those. Everyone yeah. else requires a submission. Okay, and they take the first submission that comes in. So most of them will take the submission and say, okay, well McCool just got it in. McCool's our broker. It doesn't matter if twenty other brokers send in a submission after that. That's the that's typical. That's the way most insurance companies um, work. There are a few insurance companies who require a complete submission in order to allow a broker to um, access that. And they only take one complete submission. So I can send in the submission, but if I don't have, let's say, the loss history, they're not going to consider me the broker on that. They will take a submission from a broker three months later if he Somebody has, else could beat you to it. Exactly. And that, would, and that happens all the time because the incumbent, in order to get loss history, you have to obtain it through the current insurance broker. So if you request loss history from the broker and he doesn't release it, well, we can't yeah. send a complete submission, and right. what ends up is they end up sending a complete submission to the insurance company, which doesn't always um, bode well for the association because if they're looking for a little competition, yeah. well, they've, they've, they've just shot down the competition. As a broker, if I ask you for a set of loss runs for the last five years, is your first thought, oh, they're shopping around to another broker, or are you saying, oh, good, they're, do- they're doing their due diligence and want this on file? <laughs> Our first thought is they're shopping the insurance. <laughs> I was just curious. <laughs> no, it's, it's in every instance. I mean, there are some um, firms or in, in some associations who do want to see the loss history. Yeah. Uh, it is a rarity. Usually when you're requesting but five you years. But you'll, comp- you'll know that building that's usual about looking for that. We do. So that's your first. I was wondering. Absolutely. Because I'm always asking for yeah, loss It's runs. every broker's first instinct at yeah, that point. It's so. like, oh, who are they going to? Mm. Healthy competition is good. Nothing wrong with it. <laughs> It's a meritocracy, so you're only as good as what you give us. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So anything else that's driving up? Or the, those are a good first step? I, I think that's the first step. But again, if you're budgeting a flat 
renewal, I, I can tell you that that's an issue. I yeah. Budget the 10%. And if it comes in at five or six, you'll be, be happy. happy with that. Exactly. Yeah. And as we know, budgets are guesses mm -hmm. at best. You're, you're, when we do a budget, it's, it's, a, it's our best guess based on historical and what we think is going to happen. Right. And we always say you could be, you know, one, one area of it could be totally high. The other could be totally low. But if it balances or it's near balance, then we're all good. Um, right. I prefer you to budget on the higher side simply because if, if you budget 2% and it comes in at 10, we look bad, even though we've probably you know understood it was probably going to be at 10%. So I would say for your perspective and ours, well, the board's out there budgeted at 10. If it comes in at 6, you're happy at the yeah. end of the day. If it comes in at 10, at least you're prepared for it. All right, cool. Well, Ed, everybody could get in touch with you at McCool.com, M-A-C-K-O-U-L.com, and it's A-G-McCool at McCool, A-J. E-J. E wait, what am I saying? E-J-McCool at McCool.com. Right. It's and spelled, spelled the same way, M-A-C-K-O-U-L. <laughs> Most people think it's M-C-C-O-O-L. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's got to be tiring to spell that out for your whole life. <laughs> 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 and you can email the show at nyc real estate podcast at gmail.com again that's nyc real estate nyc real estate podcast at gmail.com i'm mark levine uh we launch every thursday as close to thursday morning as we can so i'm sure we'll have some great insurance episodes coming up with ed in the future and uh, a whole host of other new york city real estate related stuff so thanks for coming in thank you mark take care